this is what we don't want to happen to us. I don't know if you ever heard me share with you four people that are named these names that I'm going to mention. But I don't want our house, I don't want us, I don't want the church of God to fall in this category. Now listen up. Okay? There were four people that were named this way. One name was everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry at that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when anybody did what nobody could have done. We don't want to fall in that category. We want to be able to do something. We want to be able to do something about the issues and the situations that are going on. And uh, let's pray that we don't fall into that anybody, nobody <laughs> category. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. As I spoke to the pastor of the house just the other day, we spoke about certain things that we're doing, uh, certain things that God is moving in his spirit and in his heart to do. We had a meeting. Some of us, I had a meeting with Al. You know, and eventually we're going to be meeting. We had a leadership meeting. And there are things that are beginning to move. The water is going to begin to move. And uh, obviously he's not here today. He's taking care of business for uh, uh, Bishop Mott. So um, he dropped the call on me. And what he wants me to do is to begin to introduce a thing, a thing that you need new wineskin to receive. And when I say new wineskin, for those that have not been around for a long time, all that means is that you need to get ready for this new approach, this new revelation, this new illumination. How many of you know that in Christ we move from glory to glory? Okay, we don't stay the same. We move. There's a moving. God is a moving thing. The Spirit of God moves. And you don't stay in the same position, in the same location, in the same level all the time. If you've been there for a long time, then I would probably agitate you. I will probably irk you. Uh, and, and it's okay because, you know, this, you know, God is moving and he's doing a thing. Uh, there were some things that irked and agitated me to get me to the place that I'm supposed to be. That doesn't mean that I'm all there yet, but I'm on my way. And I'm going to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And that's my story and I'm going to stick to it. Bible says not to fear any face. And I know uh, because... You know, these things are natural, and we are natural people in that sense. But God is doing a thing. If you remember I shared the other time that I got up here is that God, God is a God of patterns. He's got purposes, and he has plans. I'm going to demonstrate, and I'm going to show you that in Scripture. 
I also said that God is a God of order. And glory follows order. Right after there's order, glory shows up. If there's no order, you can forget about glory. God is glory. And he wants to show up with all his glory. He wants to fill the earth with all his glory. That's why way in the beginning, the Bible says that the earth was void. It was empty. It was dark. Had no shape, no form, no direction, no order. It was chaotic and it was a disaster. Like our lives before we met Jesus. And here you see God moving into that setting, that environment. An environment of total chaos. Total disorder. And the first thing he begins to do is what? Obviously we know. Okay? He begins to put stuff in order because he's the God of order. And wherever he is, he wants order. He wants things to be where they're supposed to be. Order is simply taking what's out of order, order and putting it in order. No big deal. Just take what's out of order and put it in order. Could become a big deal if you let it. But nonetheless, that's what God is looking to do. If He is a God of order, and He wants to move in our midst and dwell in our midst, then He is trying to fix it so that it can be in order for Him to show up. Everybody's with me so far. Everybody's with me so far that you've been coming recently. Just know that God is a God of order. And we thank God that He is that because He put our lives in order. So if God is a God of order, obviously there's a plan and there's a system and there's a process and there's something that He's doing to accomplish this thing about order. He's trying to put it together so that He can dwell in our midst. If you look at Scripture... And as I said before, that God is a God of patterns and sequential events. And you really check it out and check out a lot of things in Christ. You will find that to be so. So let's go to the beginning. God puts the world in order. He creates a man with his hands. And even before he creates that man, because he's a God of order, he creates an earth, he creates, he separates the waters from the land, he separates darkness from light, he sets it up. He took all that chaos and he sets it up so that he can put his man in that midst. He didn't make man and hang them up in the air and then began to create the rest of the earth. He did everything in sequence in patterns and in order everything begot what it was every seed begot what it was and it became uh, the seed became a tree and the tree gave more seed and that seed gave up uh, another tree and it just began to beget itself and things began to grow and God begins to demonstrate his order his plan his perfection and everything that he wants to do and then he creates man he creates man. And it was a good thing. In fact, every time he created something and did something, he said it is a good thing. So he creates man and he gives him a certain mandate. 
I know that we were created to worship, and it's true to an extent, uh, because, you know, in the midst of worshiping Him, we receive joy, and He likes the worship of His people. And He will be in the midst of the worship of His people if the people that are worshiping Him are in Him, and He is in them. A lot of times we think that if we just jump up and start worshiping, even without repenting or having a knot with one another, that he's going to show up in our midst. Uh, let me shake you up and wake you up. No, he's not in that midst. You have to be in him and he's got to be in you. There has to be order. In fact, he said, if you got a present for me and you come to the altar and you know that you got a thing with your brother or your sister, stop, stop, stop right there. Go back, fix it up, then come back. Otherwise, I can't receive it. We got to start serving him in order and in truth. He is looking for those that will worship him in spirit and in truth because he is truth. And truth, again, is order. Truth is glory. Are you with me? So he's got a plan. He's got a plan of putting order, bringing truth, and bringing all these things to pass so that we can have success in him. Finally makes man, he gives him the mandate. And the mandate wasn't just to worship. In fact, uh, they were worshiping God way before man was created. There was something about worship. They were worshiping in heaven way before he created man. Worship is something unique and different. It's awesome if you study it. In heaven, they're always worshiping him. But when he created you and I, he gave us this first mandate. You have dominion. You have dominion. And you reproduce yourself. You have dominion. Replenish the earth. Subdue it. And keep it. And for some reason or other, we somehow stopped that. But that was the first mandate. When man opened up his eyes, you know, that's what he heard. And God said that to him because God had a plan. Amen? And he wants to bring glory back into the earth. If we look at that in continuing process, we see now that God, in the Old Testament, he begins to move on Moses. He calls Moses, and Moses will go to this burning bush. And you know the story. Those of you that are relatively new, you know the story. You've seen this in Sesame the Mill. I, I don't know, but I know it was Charleston Heston and, you know, the Ten Commandments. And he went to see that burning bush that didn't burn up. And, and, and Moses went there because God had a plan. He, he, he had something he needed to do, and he needed Moses. So he shows up to Moses, and he begins to give Moses certain instructions. He goes, amen, and he goes to Egypt and he begins to declare what God said. And you know the story, the people that were slaves uh, sort of in Egypt, uh, his people, his nation that he wanted to begin, amen, to start and put together his nation, uh, he delivered and he rescued from the bondages of Egypt. So now we have God's nation, God's people coming out of Egypt being led by Moses. Moses the prophet, Moses that typified, amen, Jesus Christ, the deliverer, the one that would come and deliver us and save us and bring us into a land filled with milk and honey, a promised land. 
So here you see God demonstrating that and that's what happened. And you know the story. The battle, they're in the desert. And God brings them out into the desert because God wants them to go into the desert and begin to worship Him and begin to adore Him. So the first thing He does, if you look at Exodus chapter 25, He calls Moses to the side and He gives Moses a set of instructions and rules. In fact, if you look at the Bible, the Bible is a book of instructions. Every time you read the scriptures, don't you get an instruction? Do this, do that. If my people will repent, who are called by my name and turn from their wicked ways, I'll do this. If you give, you shall receive. Don't go this way, but go that way. You don't walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. It's always an instruction. It's always a good counsel. It's always a good advice. Here's Moses. Here is Moses with the counsel of God. So God tells him, I need you to build me a house. I need you to build me a sanctuary. I need you to build me a place where I can come in and dwell and be in your midst because that's what I desire. Over here you begin to see God doing something. Doing something in the area of living with his people. Separating a group of people. And now he wants to live with them. So he tells Moses to do this. And here he wants to live in the midst of these people. Which is what he accomplishes. And he accomplishes that in detail. He gives Moses specific instructions. Moses moved the furniture exactly as God said. Everything was to perfection, to measurement, to detail, to order. Not this order. In fact, God told him, put this on the left side, not on the right side. He said, gather together those that I have deposited a spirit of wisdom in. So God has deposited spirits of wisdom into some of us. Some of us might not even realize that or know that. But God has deposited that in us. What I'm doing today is I'm talking with you to bring you to a place. To bring you to a place of a particular type of understanding. It's different. Okay? So here are the instructions. You know the lampstand, you know uh, the table of showbread, you know all that stuff. In fact, we should, I, I gave uh, instructions in regards to that because if you see the tabernacle, that is the pattern of this temple. The pattern of the tabernacle in the desert was patterned after the one in heaven. So God begins to bring heaven down to earth. He begins to do a move. He begins to do something. That's why we pray, Thy will be done on earth, on earth, on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven, in heaven, in heaven. We see that in the garden when Jesus was praying just before He was going to get jacked up because He was going to start a church that was patterned in the Old Testament. He said also. Thy will be done. Nevertheless not mine. But thy will be done. Are you with me? So here we begin to see a continuation. A process. A thing. An anointing. A way in which God speaks. A way in which the apostles of old. They received instructions. And bona fide. Uh, miraculous things would happen. When they heard this. And moved in it. So here you have 
Moses. He tells the people, he brings those that have the spirit of wisdom. And, and it's funny because the Bible says that he gave these people the spirit of wisdom. And he says that they may be able to bring understanding to those that are skilled in these areas. Because he also gave them gifts. And so that they can also educate. So it's in reverse. Wisdom, understanding, education. Interesting. We learn it the other way. We, understand, we, we get educated, we understand, and then we might get to wisdom. And we might pass wisdom and get into the mystery. Is everybody still with me? So we have an understanding, a small understanding of the process, what's going on. And here's uh, Moses doing the will of God when he follows the instruction of God. And we know the whole story, you know. Uh, you see the altar. You see the candelaria. You see the mercy seat. And in fact, the Bible says that the mercy seat, God will speak with him. First pattern, first type, first shadow. Okay? Stay with me. I'm almost there. With no space here. Praise God. Now, if you look at Romans 11.29, I'm just going to take a leap from what we've just... Romans 11, just 11:29. And it reads as follows, Romans 11:29. For the gifts of God, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Past finding out. You know, the gifts are irrevocable. That means that the gifts are here to stay. God is not going to take them back to you. You got a gift. Just know that you have a gift. Know that he gave you that gift. And that gift is irrevocable. In the book of Romans, it says so. And the reason he gave you that gift is because he wants to do something with that gift for you and through you. In that gift, there is a prophetic endowment. There is a prophetic stamp. There is something that is in you that he ordained from the foundations of the world. Are you with me? 
This is, you know, breaking ice here. Um, it, it's not going to be hoopla hoopla, but this is what's happening. And this is uh, what we got to understand and continue in. God wants to give you patterns and, and sequential things so that you can understand him completely. Like I said, everyone has a gift and everybody has a calling. Most Christians are, however, uh, unconscious of their gift and their calling. They have no clue, absolutely no clue that they have a gift and that they have a calling. They go through life. They come to church day in and day out thinking that being good is, is enough. Being good is not good enough. Being nice and giving tithes is nice, but it's not good enough. Doing nice things every now and then is good but it's not good enough god wants you to have that wholeness that whole complete life in him god wants you to have that wholeness and not being a whole so to speak and that is that you would find out what is your hope in him he gifted you so you need to find out what is your gift what is your calling what are you here for what are you doing how many, you know, we've been here for years and, and, and we just don't know. We don't even take, we, we think that this is the way it is. And it's not the way it is. If we come here just to, to be here and not really search out our gifting and our calling and the purpose that God saved you and myself for, then we're just having, we just get together on Sundays. We need to know in detail. We need to know exactly what is His touch on you so that you can fulfill that uh, could you be faithful to God could you be faithful to the church could you be faithful to the one that created and blew life into you and wakes you up every morning could you be faithful to him if you are not faithful to your gift and your calling of course not but yet year after year after year after year we do the same we don't find out. We don't know. We think that that's the way it is. And we have no clue that there is so much more to life than that. God wants you to enjoy the fullness and the richness that he has for you in this life. He's given you that. And we are just like, because we haven't been shaken out of that. I'm not going to go fast. I'm just going to stay in places so that you can get it get it the devil don't care if you come all the time he cares if you move into the gift that god has given you and everybody has a gift everybody has a calling the gift and the callings are not necessarily the same the gift and the calling are not necessarily the same i'll give you an example let's take david was david a good warrior the best there's no general better than David. He could have lived his entire life as a general and be successful. In fact, they have strategies and they still seek out his moves in terms of, you know, warfare tactics. Because David was great. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that they came up to him and said, Dave, man, what? I think you should write books. I think we should maybe have a private army. You know, and they can hire us. And we can have 300 great men. I know that they approached him in that fashion. He was also a tremendous psalmist. 
He wrote the best songs in the world. He can write a song out of a, out of a snap. You know, a song uh, out of a turmoil or two or three. He was a tremendous psalmist, the Bible says. Am I right? He could have been a psalmist all his life. Bonafide gifts. Solid gifts. Don't you think so? I think that they also approached a man. You, you can write, you, you should have an orchestra. You, 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 you're a good. Why don't you this and why don't you that? But I thank God, I thank God that David, uh, you know, w w was diligent and he knew that there was something more because he was neither called to be a great general, although he had that great gift, and although he had a great psalmist gift, he wasn't called for that. Those were gifts. He was called to be the king. Of the nation of God. And he held back and held his peace. Until that fulfillment came to pass. And a lot of times we get cut up and chopped up. By other brethren. And, and emotion. And, and voices that are not really God's voice. Telling us that we need to do this and we need to do that. Especially if you're gifted. Especially if you irk somebody because you're gifted. Especially if you're really trying to move for God. The devil will set up a table, man, to get you tripped up and all that mess. So you got to be careful. Because God wants to demonstrate and He wants to show you what He has for you. And He's preparing your skin for that. Are you with me? Was Timothy an apostle? Sure he was. Was he an evangelist? No, he wasn't an evangelist, but he could move in that gift. That's why Paul said, Timothy, do the work of the evangelist. If you're here and you don't know your gift yet, you know, you might be graced in doing a few things. But pray and seek God. Don't let somebody try to push you into something that you're not really called for. Although you have the gracing and the gifting for it. But in the house, we were talking about that. And we're going to nurture. We're going to nurture our people so that we can develop that in the house. So that we can develop that in the house. So I'm going to read something quickly because time is short. And listen to what the Bible says in Matthew, the 16th chapter, in the 13th verse. You can just write it. You don't have to. Uh, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do you say, or who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You've heard that before. So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you, do you, do you? personally say that I am? Who do you personally say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And all of a sudden, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in earth will be loosed in heaven.
Then he commanded his disciples and so on. Now listen to me. This is where Jesus began to do the main thing. He, one of the main things that he was sent. Because he was sent. God sent his son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's why he gives us power to become not preachers or prophets or whatever, but to become sons and daughters because the key is sons and daughters. The key is to have that kind of a relationship. He was sent. This is my son. He is my father. And because he is my son and he is my father, I can move in this. I can move in this power. I can command demons and they move. Not because I have a title, but I'm a son. I have sonship. I have power with my father. Are you with me? So God is trying to bring us to that place. Here he is. Jesus. The verb becomes flesh. Now he spoke everything into existence. In seven days he spoke that the earth, the skies, the moons, all of those things. He spoke them into existence. In seven days. And he did all kinds of other great and mighty things that are, are incredible for us to imagine, understand, or, 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 or even touch a little bit in comprehension. But the main thing that he came to do was just getting ready to happen. So when he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. Blessed are you because on that revelation, on that illumination, you know that I am the Christ and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you keys. Now, he establishes his church, not yours or mine, but his church. Blessed are you because you've received this revelation. So he establishes the church. And the church, he says, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And he goes even further. And then he says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. I will give you the keys to the kingdom so that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now you have church. Jesus begins to put it together. You have kingdom. The church produces guys like us and nurtures us and helps us to be polished in the gifts that he's given us because that was his purpose. Are you with me? So the church helps us to put that in place so that we can operate in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, we begin to use those keys. And in the kingdom, the gifts of God in you and in me begin to start surfacing. Are you with me? And, and, and God is looking for us to begin to move in that area. Speeding right along. And in order to accomplish that, he does this. Let's go to Jeremiah 1.9. I'll go there. You don't have to go there. This is Jeremiah the Propheta. He was called. Yeah, I, I, okay, put it right. Just as uncomfortable up here. Jeremiah the Propheta. In the last days. 
I will pour out. Jeremiah 1 9. In Jeremiah 1 9, it says, Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, This is Jeremiah talking. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. Okay? A prophet of God that God was going to use. In this whole process, just, I'm trying to bring it together uh, as best as I can. There's so many things, but the process here is that God is putting something together to begin to establish his church. Moses, the pattern, and then we see he puts it together as Peter said, Thou art the Christ. He begins to put some other stuff together, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and he begins to declare certain things and he gives gifts and then in Ephesians 4 he gives that church that he had purchased with his blood because although he did so many powerful things the church of Christ had to be bought with his precious blood Jesus was beaten to the pulp for the church he bought it with his own blood he shed his blood for that particular church. The shame of everybody was upon him. He was beaten 39 plus 1 on his back for that church. That church was expensive. That's why he says, my church and I and I will build my church. Nobody else, but I will build it. So he begins to show us how. So in Jeremiah 1 and 9, he touches Jeremiah's mouth. And the Bible says, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, it sounds negative, but this is the process. God is doing something and he's using Jeremiah. And it sounds hard. I'm using you to pull down. I'm using you to uproot. Because I need to build. So I have to prepare some kind of like new wine skin. Are you with me? Here's the whole scenario. And it's still moving. So Jeremiah begins to do as such. He begins to speak. And sometimes we, we, we need to hear that. And sometimes we, we need to do that. Sometimes we need to, to get shaken up. The Bible says that in the latter days, God's going to shake the heavens and the earth. He's going to shake stuff so that we can remain if we're impregnable, if we're solid in the Word. And we need to be shaken up so that we can stand up and rise up. There's some stuff that has to be rooted out of us. There's some stuff that has to be rooted out of the church at large. There's some things that we should have done that we didn't do. That's why we lost on these votes. There's some stuff that God needs to do, but He needs to uproot so that then He can build. Began that a long time ago, putting stuff in order. So to put things in order, you got to uproot what's bad. You gotta, if you have cancer, you, you, you want that cancer completely out. You don't want a little bit of it out. You want the whole thing out. And it's not easy. And it's not easy to share some of these things. It's not easy for me to say, you know, that you're going to be shaken up. That God's going to uproot. And He's going to shake you up so that He can get that that's negative out of you. We pick up some of that stuff. When we come to the house of God, in the beginning, we come with stuff. We come with mess. 
So we need deliverance. We need the truth and we need deliverance. We need to put together new wineskin because what he's got for us, we can't hold it in the old wineskin. Are you with me? Before it was prophetic. Samuel, it was David. You know, prophetic kingship and all that, which is good. But now, now, it's the New Testament epoch. And we need a new wineskin. It's a different switch, a different shift. Why did he pick 12 apostles instead of 12 priests? Instead of 12 prophets? But he picked 12 apostoles. That's the shift. That's the transition. So he picks them. And he begins to school them and prepare them and train them. Just like he's doing that to you and he's doing that to me. Church is not going to be as usual. Things are changing. There's going to be a depositing of new wineskin. And I got to rush it now. But there's some new wineskin that's coming into play. And God is just preparing us for it. And the gifts and callings are irrevocable you know and they have to hang they have to hang on the church the church the church the church the church we were called to the church we were called to the church we were called to be here and get ourselves together here so that we can bring Jesus out there and to do that we need New wineskins. We need to uproot and we need to allow God to do a work in us. And be honest and be real. It's not going to be like it used to. I am tired of going around in circles. I want to get ahead. I want to try to advance. Whatever it takes, whatever it is, I need to be honest and real and get to that place and that position. Just before we close. And you know, maybe I didn't get, it wasn't a hoopla, hoopla, but it's, it's, it's real. It's truth. And the ball is in your lap. You know? Truth is at, at your lap. And whatever you do with it, it's up to you. You know, you either do what you need and supposed to do with it or just let it fly. But the thing is that God is going to keep at us. God, because it's his church. And he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail. He will continue at this until he gets from us what he purposed. I don't care what you think or what I think. He is going to get from us what he purposed. He's not going to let us go. He's going to mature us. He's going to mature us. He says... I, Jesus, is personally committed to the building of his church. He emphatically declares that he takes the place of personal ownership. Hetchit, his whole eternal life, is committed to the redeeming of his church. Placing and growing these members of his church to full maturity. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, feed my lamb. The right food. That's why I couldn't get into something real deep. But I'm trying to get to a place as easy as I possibly can. And as quick as I possibly can. Because we should have got this a while back. But we're getting it now. I, and then he says, will. 
When Jesus made this statement, the church had not yet been birthed, but was the sovereign will of Jesus Christ. Will indicates determination to produce and perfect regardless of time and effort required. Even if it took 2,000 years, he will do it. I will. I will. Personally, that's what Jesus, the Son of God, said. I will build, build, build. And if you're a builder, you can't build over something that's no good. You have to uproot the bad stuff, the bad wood. You know, And some of us have bad wood. Some of us, like the prophet said, have spiritual cologne, spiritual perfume to cover up that stuff. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You know, we have to uproot that stuff because I want to build. Bill suggests a long, slow, drawn-out process. You find that in Ephesians second chapter, verse 20. Literal translation, the church is the plan. He will not stop building his church until every member needed is placed in his or her proper position and the whole building finished to perfection. He is building every stone, every brick, and he as a master builder will do it, and he's not going to stop. We might as well fess up and get into it now or continue going around in circles. He says, I will build, and then he says, my my, the church is his personal property, pride and possession, Acts 20 and 28. Christ gave himself for it, the church, Ephesians 5, 25. He hath purchased it with his own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. Jesus is jealous over his position as owner and head of what he calls my church, is his church. And that's why it's going to prevail. And that's why we got to do it His way. And that's why if we don't do it His way, we're just going to go around in circles for 400 years, just like His children in the desert. I give you the promised land, but if you don't listen, you know, you reap what you sow. Okay? And that's it. That's the bottom line. So He's trying to put together some new wineskins so that we will be able to handle the releasing, the fullness of the Spirit through the gifting and governmental process and function of the prophetic anointing that God is dropping on His church. Prior to that, the Spirit would come upon prophets. Upon, upon, upon. Now He's in you. In the beginning, build me a temple. I want to be in the midst. But now you are the temple. I want to be inside you because I want to use you. I want you to say something and I'll come out of there. If I'm in you, then you're in me. It's not like hoopla, hoopla, hoopla. We got to be real with this. God is not an apple pie in the sky. He's real. And he's tired. He's tired of being, you know, taken lightly. He said, don't insult my intelligence. I know where you're at. I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know if you're trying or not. And then finally, the church. I will build my church. Establishes at once the uh, distinction between this special called out company and every other classification of human being. All heaven and even hell recognizes that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Ecclesia, the called out ones. All evil forces and, and, and humanistic people are trying to prevent Christ's church from becoming all that God has pre-planned for, for it to be. 
the quantity and quality of its members, the ultimate purpose and work of it, okay, will do uh, that he wants to do during this age. There's a lot of things that are trying to stop that, but he's going to prevail. He's going to bring it to pass. He's going to do it, regardless of us. Either we get it together, or you know we'll become like uh, nobody thought everybody could have, but didn't. So somebody thought that just somebody, and what happened was that nobody did anything, and that's the real deal. If you mean business. If you really want God to move in our midst or in your life, just in your heart, from where you're sitting, just open it up to him. And just have him tell him, God, I'm trying, you know. I might not understand all this, but have mercy and show me. I'm going to say a general prayer. And then I'm going to pray for Sister Torres. Are you... Sister Torres, you're, you're moving out. You're, you're, you're going to go and uh, to another state. We want to pray for you. We want to commission you. Um, the Bible says in the book of Acts that, that part of our anointing is to commission, to commission people to go. Commission people to go and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lay hands on them. In fact, in the old days, how it began, get up a second now. This is the real meaning of laying on of hands. If I was to lay hands on Al and prophesy to him that he would have a prophetic anointing and he would bring it somewhere else, I would lay hands on him, but I would lean on him. And he has to be able to hold me. Okay? Which means that the responsibility of that prophecy and that gifting and what I'm saying to him, he's able to handle. And... The laying on of hand is also the sealing. Like when you cover something after you pour something in it. For it to continually happen and never end. That's commissioning. That's what God wants us to get to. We have the authority and the power to do that. We need to do that in everything that we do. Because he said, it's my way or no way. It's his way. 